Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, including all those topics you were afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Melissa May. My special guest today is a remarkable woman who works for the United States Air Force as a bilingual PMP and Six Sigma Greenbelt Certified IT Project Manager. She is also a cybersecurity specialist with the California State Guard Army Component Command. It's my pleasure to welcome Brittany No. Brittany, how are you today? Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking really forward to having a really honest, fun dialogue for your supporters today. Absolutely. Well, we'll jump right in. Your family escaped from Vietnam to the U.S. when you were just six week, weeks old. You were just a little nugget. Do you remember any stories about the escape from Vietnam to the U.S. that your parents told you as you were growing up? Oh, absolutely. Um, I feel that my journey is just one of many refugee stories that, you know, are out there infused with a backdrop of miracles, fate, or just plain luck. And um, so I essentially came into this world in the hospital, not surrounded by the comfort of a bassinet, but rather the sound of persistent shelling. Um, yeah, with the assistance of a CIA, uh, CIA agent with connections to the airport, my family was given the opportunity to flee the country by plane shortly before the airports were bombed to prevent escape. Um, so that we wouldn't alert would-be spies, we were snuck into the airport in a clandestine fashion and uh, in specially marked vans. So there we sat in a large hangar awaiting direction, not knowing if at any moment we would be captured and turned over to the Viet North Vietnamese. Um, assuredly, my father would have been placed in a communist re-education camp um, due to his time fighting alongside the Americans and the time that he actually spent in the U.S. for his education because he actually went back to fight. Um, he left the United States and went back to support our efforts. Um, eventually, my family was boarded onto buses, and we were immediately instructed that once the doors opened, to run with every ounce of our strength towards a uh, C-130 cargo plane that was still rolling forward on the runway. So hundreds of refugees were sprinting frantically, men, women, shielding their babies and children, and the wind from the jets are so powerful, they're pushing back with such force that... Um, that they could barely even stand. So we were flanked by um, United States soldiers who were there to protect us to the best of their ability. And there were no seats in this completely gutted cargo, cargo plane with a normal payload of about 100 troops. And now there's like hundreds of refugees in there. I was told that there were even ch children that were being squished into the cockpit. Um, so there was no air conditioning, sweltering hot, at low altitudes and traverse into freezing cold temperatures at like 30,000 feet. Um, during the flight, which is approximately three hours, my father didn't even know if I was dead or alive because I was only six weeks old. We went to uh, Clark Air Base, then we went to Wake Island, and then we eventually ended up in Camp Pendleton in San Diego. So here, the young Marines were tasked with leveling uh, fields of grass to set up refugee camps which you may know in the future, uh, know as a tent city. You may have heard that term. Um, some of us would be housed in tents, others in these corrugated steel structures known as Quonset huts. And uh, these Marines provided supplies, serving food to thousands of displaced. Um, they did so with compassion and dedication. And this is in spite of the rampant communication and cultural barriers amidst one of the most controversial wars in our history. 
So I just end with a fun anecdote is that my mother just remembers being in one of these refugee camps and she'd never, she's had a lot of Vietnamese, had never seen an apple before. And they couldn't be more thankful for a fruit that was so exotic and delectable. And to this day, I'm still obsessed with American apple pie. <laughs> oh, I, I bet that was why you got into the military because you were like, they've got great apples. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> Oh, it's uh, the fact that your parents were so brave to, you know, take a six week old baby and take off into the unknown really shows just how bad it was in Vietnam to make that escape. And I'm so glad you all made it here safely. So that's the most important thing. But what was your life back during your childhood days here in the States? Like, I'm sure there were many challenges, especially like you said, the language and culture, cultural barrier in those days, especially for your parents, too. Uh, we moved around this country and we ended up at one point um, in Louisiana where we lived only a couple of miles away from KKK headquarters. <laughs> My poor mother, um, she re recalls such a painful memory, um, carrying me around in a grocery store and she was chased down, you know, aisle to aisle by some racist calling her every name in the book. So it was very difficult. And my father, who's this gifted scholar and engineer who fought with the South Vietnamese army alongside the Americans when we escaped here to the U.S., he ended up working at a convenience store for a small stint there. Um, but as in any hardworking um, immigrant story, he managed to land an opportunity with an engineering firm here in Southern California, um, where we've resided in Orange County ever since. Um, as far as your question about acclimation, I think acclimation was a real big challenge and language barriers were definitely an issue because when I went to school, I had an accent because my parents would not allow me to speak English at home. So when I got to school, I was ridiculed ceaselessly and out of necessity and a strong desire to acclimate, I think I ardently focused on becoming like the best speller and the most articulate I could be in English, um, just just so that I could combat the uh, you know those stereotypes about myself. And I, I don't think it happens as much anymore. But I used to have people look at me, look at my ethnic name, and tell me, "You speak English so well." And <laughs> now that I'm older, I'm just grateful and that I can speak Vietnamese despite having come to the U.S. when I was an infant. Oh, that's, it's a, such a heartbreaking st story that you just said about, you know, the, your mom going around to the grocery store that you have to go to and yet to be ridiculed is, is, is sad. And to, you know, she's probably trying to shield you as a child from dealing with all this ridicule and yet you can't escape it. I mean, you're at the grocery store. It's not like, it's not like you're at some really unique place. It's someplace where you need to get food and oh, that's, that's heartbreaking. But what were some of the defining moments in your life that got to where you are now? Oh gosh, I've had some defining moments in my life. Uh, the first of which I'm going to share, which is not necessarily wonderful in nature. Some some of these uh, events that really make or break you and, and change your value set can be very uncomfortable. Um, I was raised to be quiet, not to cause trouble, relatively subservient, right? That's the very traditional Asian uh, women. Um, in my first corporate job, a female director hauled me into her office one day and admonished me to an extent I had never experienced in the workplace before. She stated, I needed to be more assertive, that I needed to speak up in meetings. Why do you keep walking with your head down? I was an utter shock, but it was a defining moment for me that I learned that 
what I was taught as an Asian American woman to be gentle sometimes, to be subservient, doesn't serve you well sometimes in the American workplace. And I, that day, I began my journey to find my voice, as uncomfortable as that was. And interestingly enough, I received a divisional award thereafter. So I went from this meek individual to really finding my voice and speaking up and sharing my ideas and maybe just not shuffling and walking with my head down to the ground. And it worked out in the end, at least, you know, at least uh, in my workplace it did. <laughs> I just love the fact that it was another fellow female that was like, girl, don't do this. Like, you need to be more assertive. I love that. Like, because a lot of times, whether you're Asian American or not, there's always like a like a slight competition between genders in the workplace. And the fact that a woman came up to you and was like, Brittany, you got to do this and helped you develop your voice is, that's really good to hear. Because sometimes you hear it's, it's really competitive in the corporate world, of course. But the fact that an, a fellow female was like, you got you got this. Let's do this instead. And oh, I'm so glad that you found your voice because obviously you've taken it to a whole nother level in your career. So I'm so glad whoever that woman is, hopefully you're still keeping in touch with her because probably probably changed the trajectory of your career. And keep your head up. You're beautiful. Keep your head up. <laughs> um, so what motivated or inspired you to pursue a career in civil service? And can you tell us about your profession in the Air Force? Um. I don't really I don't forget the sacrifices made by those who enabled our escape to this country and the freedoms that supported. Um, I survived 20 years of layoffs in private sector at fortune companies. And when my number came up, I had a dream to serve my country and also to apply for Disney because I just love Disney princesses. But I'm also a patriot. But that's another story altogether. So um, I ended up applying to the FBI. And I tried to enlist in the military, um, only to be told in not so many words, thanks, but no thanks, ma'am, but you old. So it took me <laughs> three years, but I finally landed an opportunity <laughs> at Edwards Air Force Base as a civilian IT project manager. And it has been nothing short of a dream come true. I had expected it to be completely harsh and dystopian. And I expected to be yelled at con constantly. But um, in fact, I found the US Department of Defense to be the kindest family oriented, supportive environment I've ever been in. Um, I make the joke oftentimes that um, I feel like Veruca Salt here. I always scream like, Daddy, I want the goose that lays the golden eggs. And they always make it happen. And uh, I wanted so desperately to give back to the legacy of warfighters for everything that they've done to enable the life that I have today. Um, you know, they allow me to indulge my little Disney fantasy by being a princess, supporting and uh, volunteering with military, military children, right? Um, they filmed a video of my story as part of their AAPI efforts. And, um, and that's in addition to the countless training projects and programs that they enable me to be a part of. So nearly every day I hear the sound of freedom, um, whether it's a jet, whether it's a sonic boom, I'm always reminded why I'm here. And I feel my purpose has really come full circle to support our nation and our legacy of warfighters. You worded it perfectly, like full circle, that the military personnel that helped you and your family influenced you to where you are now. And I, I too, um, I'm so grateful and, and proud of all that we live in such a, uh, you know, country where they helped you and, oh, 
What a full circle, full circle. Um, All right. Jumping back. I know you probably have some other defining moments in your life, Brittany. Can you talk a little bit more about those? So another defining moment for me is when I broke down in the theater watching the Joy Luck Club. Okay. Up until that point, all I saw was a Eurocentric standard of beauty and like John Hughes's directing, directed coming of age stories, right? So um, sorority life, fraternity life. I, I, I didn't see anything other than those type of standards in the movies. But here, for the first time, to see beautiful and intelligent Asian American women's stories portrayed on screen as opposed to a prostitute or a caricature um, that we were traditionally portrayed as was overwhelming to me. So to see my story of my family dynamic with my mother, my struggles to acclimate to the U.S., and that cultural divide was the first time I'd seen that in my history, and I was so grateful. And if anything, that made me want to tell my story because I felt that there were other people out there who wanted to see that too as well. Um, another defining moment was when I became a cheerleader for the Mighty Ducks and the Anaheim Angels at the time. And, uh, there was the national anthem where I was standing with my hand over the heart, my heart and staring at the jumbotron. And I was just thinking to myself, how did this awkward ridiculed immigrant child end up here in the stadium filled with thousands representing one of America's greatest pastimes. I, I mean, if you want to think about the American dream and how, you know, you come from a completely different um, country and to this nation and to be, you know, have that opportunity, that's, re- that's completely surreal. So it really all, the, the most recent defining moment that really made it come all together and bring it full circle, was realizing a dream I've had for so long, which was to host a Vietnam Veterans Appreciation event. So um, due to being at Edwards, I was able to build relationships with the local community in the um, Aerospace Valley. Um, I was able to work with the American Legion Post 311 of Lancaster, uh, the Bombshell Bettys, the Blue Star Mothers, and we we worked together to host an evening of gratitude where Vietnamese refugees like myself Um, My friend Kim, who works as an LCSW therapist at Edwards and a retired uh, Vietnamese lieutenant colonel, we were all able to share our stories of escape and our American journey coming full circle to serve our country. So even my father, who served in the South Vietnamese Army, and his friend, who served 10 years in a communist re-education camp after the fall, were present. And they stood there and saluted their American counterparts after 40 years after the fall. It was not a dry I in the house. And that means something when you have 70 to 80 year old war fighters breaking down in tears. Um, one of the veterans said, I've never hugged a Vietnamese refugee before. She so filled my heart. I told her that for many years, I felt like a loser. And she made me feel that what we did, what we fought for was not in vain. And honestly, that's all I ever wanted for those who served. If I can just make, alleviate, one human being's pain and suffering. I just know that's my life purpose. So very de- defining for me. Ooh, Brittany, Brittany, Brittany. That is, those are some, be- whether it's movies or the fact that you are able to host such a wonderful event, I'm sure that um, 
they were so grateful because a lot of times you go unrecognized for the things that you're, you know, your job and you're paid to do. But the fact that you were able to acknowledge that and do that with uh, fellow Vietnamese refugees is, is remarkable. And I'm so happy you were able to do that. Do you still do uh, host events like that? Oh, absolutely. So I, I can't even tell you how excited I am that we are having a POW MIA event that's coming up and um, at Edwards. And they happen to find uh, POW from the Vietnam era. So and I'm on the volunteer committee, obviously. I cannot wait to execute on that. And later in the year, um, I've been asked by Honor Flight Southland to fly out to Washington, D.C., um, to uh, give a speech of gratitude to our Vietnam vets. Yeah, it's it's amazing that they go off to war and come back and then, you know, then they retire or whatever and they, they kind of aren't appreciated, I feel like, or feel underappreciated. So the fact that you're able to do what you do and recognize the those that have served is is, is absolutely amazing. Obviously, these these are great stories and amazing. I'm so glad for you, but were there any challenges you faced or still face in your line of work as an Asian American woman since it's technically a very male-dominated industry? Um, being a Gen Xer, I think I've experienced the full spectrum of what it's like to grow up in America as a woman, uh, a minority woman in the workplace, right? I mean, back in the early, you know, when I was first in the IT industry, I was discounted so heavily in the past and a little what we call, I guess what we term now as microaggressions, right? Um, Wow, you're good for a woman. Wow. You know, like terms like that, you know, like, oh, you speak English so well, those those things that just jab at you, you know, and and that's on the opposite end, you experience extensive misogyny and racism. Um, But now we're in an evolving environment where I just feel valued and particularly in the Air Force, who's taken significant strides um, towards equality and a safe workspace. The blatant racism that I used to experience has lessened and has not entirely disappeared. You know, society is kind of tough today. Sometimes I do fear that I'm walking down the street, minding my own business, someone's going to punch me in the face due to Asian hate. So yes, that fear is really very real for me. And I, <laughs> so um, I, the, the thing is that I accept that this nation is not perfect, but I feel like we're as close as it gets. I'm a minority woman who came to this country living in poverty and now able to celebrate and, um, you know, all the things that I treasure and I respect and I admire uh, with the full support of the Department of Defense of the United States. And I just realized that, you know, I, I'm so grateful and I realize that this nation is not comprised of the worst people that we always like to highlight in the media. It's just that there are a lot of humans, myself included, flawed and imperfect, and we capture all of their worst parts and we put them on the media and we proclaim that that's indicative of what America is and it isn't. And um, I'm just so grateful to be here and to serve and uh, just knowing that as an Asian American woman now, I have that respect and I have that opportunity. Was there one moment in particular when you said you felt kind of the transition from the misogyny and maybe the racism to where it is now? Is there something in particular that comes to mind by any chance? I I think it's just so um, evident when I go into the workplace, just how much they, um, my coworkers speak to my experience. They'll say things like, instead of, well, 
you know, you just got here because of whatever the case may be. You you fill in the blank. And I'll be, I'm a minority woman. I'm a woman. Um, you have a look, whatever the case may be. Today, it's like, um, they're all like, uh, well, you have a work, strong work history. Obviously, they would give you that or this or whatever the case may be because you came from such a, a distinguished background and you came from Microsoft and you came from all these companies or what have you. So why wouldn't they do that for you? It's almost like, well, yeah, that was the, that's the mentality that everyone should have had in the first place, you know? And, and to hear that, particularly from a man, it's just astounding. And the, the amount of care and concern, at least at the Air Force, that they demonstrate to us is constantly, they're always querying us. How do you feel in this environment? Do you feel discriminated against? Is there something that, um, do you feel that if anything happened to you from an assault, you know, assault perspective, that you would feel free to report it, right? They, they are taking the utmost care to provide us training and to provide us resources that we know that we can reach out. And that I don't think was true for many women in the past, you know, um, thus accounting for all the harassment that we used to experience that we were just expected to keep your mouth shut. That's the way uh, that's how boys are. Right. And that's just put up with it. And particularly as an Asian American woman, where we're particularly ta taught to be subservient and quiet and don't cause trouble. So it, I think it hit doubly for us, but uh, it's getting better. <laughs> oh, I'm glad people see you as for what your talents are on the inside as opposed to on the outside, because you are a very you are a very beautiful woman, but I'm glad that you're recognized for the, your talents on the inside as opposed to just your physical appearance. That's very important. That's very important. Appreciate the free therapy that I'm getting with this session. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. I am calling it out as, as I see it. Now, do you have a life philosophy you'd like to share with our listeners by any chance? Well, there is one thing that I learned. Um, I was on an honor flight to Washington, D.C. with some World War II veterans. And I sat next to a veteran who was 101 years old at the time. And I asked him, with all of your knowledge and experience, what would you convey to our youth? And he thinks about it. He turns to me and he goes, the first 100 years are the hardest. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so precious. And to this day, I can't stop laughing. And I'm going to repeat his infinite wisdom to anyone who will listen. God rest his soul. He just passed. Um, I learned he passed recently. But it's just such a salient reminder that life is difficult for all of us. Okay? Um, there are only two types of people in this world those who are humble and those who are about to be, okay? I've had meteoric rises and precipitous downfalls in both my life and career. So I just say life is difficult. Focus on working hard, fulfill your purpose, be kind, give back to those who made your life possible and who made your joy possible. That's what I strive to do. Oh, what a great message. Um, now, Brittany, life is very uncertain, as we know, but where do you see yourself in the perfect world in 10 years? I know that this may seem contrary to what you're supposed to answer, but I honestly don't think that far ahead anymore. Um, I work in a timeline of a year or less now. Um, the only constant is change, and the most well-laid-out plans have at times succeeded, and at other times just completely went sideways on me. So when I was younger, I wanted a house in Irvine with 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. Okay, 
And today, I can't imagine wanting children in lieu of the freedom to pursue my hopes and dreams of serving my country. Um, there was a time that all I wanted was validation for having a multi-million dollar home with luxury sports cars. And so today, I drive a little powered by hamster Miata that's um, themed out with the, uh, the Little Mermaid, because I still love Disney. And... Um, <laughs> trying to find an opportunity to deploy into an active military theater base uh, where needed. So, um, again, you know, I, I would love to answer and say 10 years from now, I see myself, you know, retired on the beach and doing this, that, and the other thing. But who knows? Who knows? I could be, you know, there, sitting there in the trenches with our troops, and I'd be happy as a clam. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I feel like, I love the transition because I feel like you grew up and like your parents may have influenced you to you, you need to do this, this and this and have the big house and the kids and whatever. And the fact that you've transitioned to what you want to do and what genuinely makes you happy, like being in the trenches with troops. I can't say the average person would want to do that, but if that makes you happy, then I'm, I'm so happy for that. And that's amazing. Um, in terms of those that would like to get into your field and maybe are a little bit older to actually join the military. Any advice or um, tips on how to get into the field of IT and project management? I will say that um, it is a lucrative place to be. Okay, I I know I know that we as Asians, uh, having Asian parents, you know, uh, y'all should be doing something practical. And then on the flip side of that, the other extreme is you know follow your bliss. So get that degree in underwater basket weaving or what have you, right? But the truth of the matter is, if you seriously don't want to live on top ramen for the rest of your life, like I did in large part, um, cybersecurity is the way to go. And getting into the IT field is 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 a great place. And for those who want to, the, the federal government, at least for me, has been a dream come true. And um, it is highly competitive to get in as well, you know, because it is just chock full of benefits and it's just an amazing place to be. Um, I would recommend that, obviously, you get your education. And um, while you're in school, something I did not do was get an internship or work in the field, that field of... Um, that you're looking to get into before you even get out of college. Um, the second thing is once you do get your degree, go ahead and get as many, or even when you're in school, if you have the time, get those certifications. The IT industry is highly driven by uh, critical IT certifications. So if you are heading out the gate um, with your degree, with your work experience, minimal work experience, and with your certifications, you'll be set. And I know this to be true because um, I don't want to sound petty, but I just remember there was this young girl. My friend had a, his daughter. I put together some little Hello Kitty kit and I sent it to her as a kid full of jewelry and whatnot. And she was just a little girl at the time. And he just messaged me recently to say, my girl, my daughter is graduating college with her first six figure job. And I, girl, I was just petty. Because it took me a long time to realize and get to that point. I'm, I'm happy for her, but I'm telling you, <laughs> she is definitive proof of the things that I'm telling you. It works. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I feel like one of the, not drawbacks, but being in college, 
you get a degree, but sometimes if in certain fields you aren't given the tools of like, okay, the next step is, or you should have an internship or you should have these certifications. We're not necessarily told those things. So it's kind of like a a scramble type of deal. But the fact that you're getting that information out there, um, specifically what types of certifications? Well, at this current time, one of the most critical ones is I think a project management professional certification uh, that really traverses not only the IT industry, but should you decide that you don't want to go into the industry, project management is um, you know cross industry. So that would be construction. So uh, that would be any other industry that requires process uh, for you to map out processes and improve them. So project management professional first and foremost was very mission critical to me. The other ones would be, depending on if if you want to stay in the IT industry, would be your Security Plus certification, as well as if you really want to get into the cyberspace, you'd get into your your uh, CISSP, and if you want to get into the vendors um, certifications, you would be looking at maybe Microsoft certifications, the Cisco certifications as well. So. And particularly because this nation is so focused on the cybersecurity space and improving our uh, STEM capabilities, um, you'll see a lot of government programs, a lot of funding that's available to individuals who are looking to get um, into the IT industry simply because our nation has that great of a need. Because uh, in the future, our wars will always obviously be fought, you know, hand-to-hand combat in some respect. But as you well know, too, we're migrating towards cyber warfare and drones. So um, we're going to need talent in that space while we're to remain competitive. Ooh, you are just the encyclopedia OIT project management, Brittany. And I could talk to you so much longer, and I'm sure our viewers would have so many other questions for you, but hopefully they've gained some knowledge of the field that you're in and are even sparked to jump into that that area. But if our listeners want to learn more about you and what you do, where can they follow or find you? And do you have a website or social media handle that you'd be able to share? I'm just currently on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, I'm not with the youth these days on Insta, you know, yet. (laughs) One day, I I, I really do hope to launch my social media um, channel called The Peppy Patriot, which I hope is a channel that will be dedicated to paying homage to this great nation, documenting my travels to every state in the U.S. That's my dream after I finish this chapter of my American life with the Air Force. Once again, thank you, Brittany, for sharing your amazing story with us on Asian Voices Radio. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for giving us a voice in everything that you folks do. Absolutely. And if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts. If you'd like to support our program and make a donation, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Melissa May, and please join us again next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Until then, have a great day, everyone. Thank you.